The views and opinions expressed in the following podcast episode are only reflective of the two co-hosts, Nick Asante and Lauren Payne. These views and opinions are not reflective of any external or professional groups which the two co-hosts may be affiliated with. Take up the white man's burden, the savage wars of peace, fulfill the mouths of famine, and bid the sickness cease. And when your goal is nearest, the end for others sought, watch, watch sloth the heathen's folly and bring all your hopes to naught. Welcome back, guys, to the Introspective Podcast. I'm Nick Asante. And I'm Lauren Payne. So, uh, Lauren, what was that What was that poem that you were just reading a couple moments ago? So, that was um, The White Man's Burden by Rudyard Kipling. I was actually first introduced to that poem in AP World History when we were learning about colon- like colonization and just the colonization of Africa by Europeans. And that actually leads us into our topic today, which is white saviorism or the white savior complex. All right. And I know you've like come up with a list of things you want to discuss. So why don't you go ahead and I'll just respond to what you're saying. Okay, so I think right first, I'm just going to give the basic definition because I feel like a lot of people just don't know what it is. All right. So just the basic definition of it is. A white savior or the white savior complex refers to a white person who provides help to not to non-white people for self-serving purposes and a common trope for this is basically kind of like when a white person goes on like a mission trip to a predominantly black country on this kind of quest to help them and like you know all of that stuff and i've always noticed that i feel like it's not for like genuine reasons i think yeah, I, I feel like with the trips sometimes, or like the mission trips, sometimes it's not for genuine reasons. Or like, people go and they're like, oh my god, I'm, it's like kind of egotistical. They're like, I'm going to go save these people. And like, they're thinking about themselves and how they're going to be like the saviors for these people rather than the people they're like supposedly going to save. But I also think it's important to note that like, white saviorism comes in like all types of forms sometimes it's like malicious where it's like or like like we look at it as malicious now like for instance when people like would force native americans to go into assimilation schools and like learn how to like assimilate into um, white society like that's a form of white saviorism but then also sometimes it's like seen as charity now where it's like you know white people going to these third world countries um with the intent of saving these people and stuff like that no yeah definitely i think people forget the history behind it like like you said it was white people coming to predominantly brown and black places and trying to civilize them yeah and culture them and bring religion which is their way to justify their actions and in today's modern society it's kind of reshaped into this idea that oh not only as kind of like white being like it's like a white american's job to go to these predominantly black in brown countries that are mostly impoverished and kind of save them and bring them something not to help those people but to make themselves feel better and i feel like to prove to others that oh look i'm going to wherever and i'm helping these little these little black children and i'm such a good person like look at me you know it doesn't stem from a genuine place yeah and it like it also manifests itself in like all parts of life it's not just like the uh, mission trips like we see it in like politics and like we see it with education we see it in like different Mm -hmm. aspects of life still and 
Um, I was thinking of like the Peace Corps, which is like the entire purpose of the Peace Corps was to spread the idea of like democracy and like the American values in other in other countries. And like so they would send American youth. And this was like made in like the early or like the mid 1900s. So like white American youth to these other countries for like the for the purpose of like spreading democratic American values. And like these kids or these teens going there would be like, look, I'm helping out this country. But in reality, you're whitewashing and westernizing the people of that country yeah it's all yeah like you said it's all like westernization and trying to like impose your country's values on another group of people and me and nick have talked about this so many times and how like this kind of white savior complex plays out in where we're at which is like montgomery county maryland where i feel like we like even in recent times you know we've had of kind of especially montgomery county a very surge in like political activism and I feel like I've seen many white kids kind of taking the mic from the kids who actually want to speak up for issues that affect them. And although I feel like these kids don't have any like malintentions and they're coming from a good place, it's still white saviorism. It's still them speaking on behalf of black and brown kids. And like Nick told me the other day, like kind of using black kids as kind of like for just for the image not yeah. actually like letting them have their voice and it's this is like the modern manifestation of white um saviorism where it's like you'll have like people like you'll have like Lauren said white kids who are sort of uh creating these organizations or like creating these political movements for uh people of color and like while their intent is obviously probably like in a very good place like they're trying to help it's like why are you so adamant on um being the face of this movement that's not really exactly. about you and that's the, that's where the problem lies where they're f- um, focused more on making sure the spotlight's on them rather than listening to the opinion opinions and advice of the groups that they're trying to help yeah i have i mean like i don't have a problem with you know kids wanting to start up organizations or like head projects to help fight injustices i think that's great and that youth activism is great but i don't know Recently, it's just rubbed me the wrong way when these organizations are speaking out for black issues and the black issues involving, of course, black kids, but those black kids' voices aren't being highlighted. Yeah. And I've kind of had this thing where, you know, I'm a young black girl, but there's still some issues in the black community that I don't even feel like I can talk about because I personally don't even have experience with them. So to see a bunch of white kids talking about all the racial injustice in our school systems or any type of injustice here i'm just like yeah i appreciate it but you never experienced that yeah and you it's, know what i mean it's 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 an odd thing like i don't i mean i like i said i i like i i see the the nice intent behind it but mm-hmm. to me it, it just doesn't make sense why you're so so yeah. adamant on you know taking up someone else's issue and trying to make it your own thing like like yes you can help but then when you try and make it about yourself is where the problem lies and then i was thinking of an example of a school in our um in our county or like in a a town in our county and i know that um kids from that school were planning a black lives matter protest i'm not going to name any schools or like anything like that but kids from that school were planning a black lives matter protest and there was a group chat with uh the people who were organizing the protest and in that group chat i think there were like 
uh, two, three black kids or whatever, and the black kids were trying to give their advice and trying to give their opinions on the protest and how the protest should be done, but they felt silenced by the non-black kids, and the, they felt like their opinions were being disregarded. And it's just like, when you're trying to plan an event, a Black Lives Matter event, and you're ignoring the black voices in the in this organizational in this organization or in this or um or effort that just like doesn't make sense to me like what are you what are you trying to accomplish what are you really trying to fight for here if you're going to be the one oppressing black voices when you're trying to plan this whole movement and uh that or plan this whole event that's supposed to uplift black voices no i totally agree i'm all for like allyship and being there to support because at the end of the day you do need support from other groups to just get your message across but it doesn't make sense for five white kids to like to lead a protest on Black Lives Matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then have and then to totally disregard the black kids' voices when those issues directly affect them. And like, just to clarify on that, like, if you, like, like, yeah, I, I mean, if a white person wants to plan a Black Lives Matter protest, and like, that's totally fine. But if you're disregarding the black voices that are trying to get involved, then that's where the problem is. Like, there's nothing wrong with, like Lauren said, allyship and trying to help out and plan the protest. But if there are, like, you know, the the target people are the target demographic that are being affected by this issue, and they're trying to get involved and they're trying to also uh, put give in their input, and then you're just like tossing them aside and making it about you, then that's where the problem lies. No, yeah, totally. I probably worded that a little wrong. Of course you can plan stuff and be an ally. But like we said, it's when you take away the voice from the kids who actually are affected. That's when I feel like it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's when the kind of white savior trope comes across. Because you're not really doing it to amplify voices. You're doing it for you. Yeah. To get your voice heard. Even though those issues might necessarily not really affect you. Yeah. So. And... We see this manifest in like various places and like just like political organizations. I know, Lauren, you're part of a pretty prominent organization that um, deals with political change. And you've like expressed your own frustrations of white saviorism within that organization. And once again, I'm not naming any names here, but. No, yeah. I mean, I'm a part of a couple organizations like locally in the DMV area, not just Montgomery County. And I've kind of voiced to Nick where I feel like when planning certain events, it was a bunch of non-black kids leading it and not really taking into account what I was saying, which left me really frustrated because like I said earlier, I'm a young black girl, but there's still issues that I just, I don't know if I can necessarily be the one to speak on because I, even as a black kid, I haven't even experienced that. So it didn't sit right with me to have kind of my voice, you know, overshadowed by these kids yeah. who definitely haven't experienced it. And I think that also goes, like, ties into, like, tokenism. And, like, um, in, like, a lot of these organizations, you'll see, like, um, these predominantly white organizations. And then they'll, like, do, like, diversity, um, like, outreach and inclusion and stuff. And they'll have, like, that one token black kid who they think can is, like, the, the solution to the lack of diversity in their organization. And they have that one black kid who th they think can speak for all black issues. And they call it a day. Yes. No, yeah. Nick brought this up to me. A couple like a week ago and it was really eye-opening because i brought some of the point like i was saying as a as even as a black girl i can't speak on certain issues and he said to me you know a lot of like people in kind of our circle of friends who are black can't speak on certain issues because of just for lack of a better words the opportunities that we have yeah 
and sometimes we might find ourselves being kind of like the token black kid just because we're black and we might not even experience something that another black kid might experience and that because but I had never really thought about it that way before of kind of like if am I the black am I the the token black girl in the situation because because there's some situations that I can't even speak on yeah but yeah I just thought that was super interesting because I don't feel like a lot of people of color think about that and it's definitely an odd position to be in to be a sort of the token where like you in a way you sort of benefit from being oppressed because you're given a lot of opportunities a lot of like these predominantly white organizations and stuff will reach out to you because they need that diversity because they're like trying to put on this i mean i wouldn't say facade because like their intent is almost um like good but they're trying to like put on this like mask or whatever uh, to Mm -hmm. show that they are like inclusive and diverse but even with their inclusive inclusive inclusivity and with their diversity they're still trying they're still picking a certain type of person to um to you know include in their organization and that person is the token that's like you know and it's it's an odd position to be in and we see this in like predominantly white schools where like in order to showcase how diverse your school is, they'll find, like, two or three black kids, whoever they might be, and, like, slap them in the middle of a photo, and they're like, hey, we're so diverse. Yeah. I was, you know I, what I mean? I'm in the IB program at RM, and I was thinking about how, I mean, I was, um, I was told I was on the cover of the IB, like, brochure thing that they, like, give out at community nights, and, like, they give out to parents and stuff, and, like, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, that's cool, but, like, thinking about it, like, now, I'm like, I, I, I think I'm starting to see the intent of putting me on the cover of that brochure, and it's for that tokenism to show that they have that diversity, mm-hmm. like, you know, those, like, college pamphlets and stuff, where they'll, like, the school has, like, a 4% black population, but, like, half the pictures are of black people like the f- 10 black people on campus because they're trying yes. to show how diverse their campus is i remember freshman year i went to a private catholic school and i remember i was sitting during study hall I was sitting in the library and the photographer comes around and says okay you 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 come with me and we were all black all of us were black and then yeah. they picked up a few other like white girls and they're like okay you guys can you guys like sit behind them like, <laughs> yeah sit behind them like you want to yeah and they were all like rearranging us and it was the funniest thing and at the time i didn't even think about it but looking back on that we were totally like the token black girls of that situation and they were just like photographing us so that that school looked super diverse even though it's not whatsoever and i wonder if like white people when they're when they're picking tokens and stuff like that i wonder if they realize they're doing it or if it's just like oh we're like it goes back to the whole white savior mentality if they just think if they think that they're doing it for good like oh look at me i'm including um people who are diverse or like you know people who are not like me in my efforts mm-hmm. so i'm I'm, I, I must be a great woke-minded person yeah i think it's kind of 50 50 sometimes they don't realize they're doing it and sometimes they're doing it extremely intentionally to yeah. show how diverse their school is even though it's not diverse whatsoever so i think yeah. it's 50 50 on that i remember i got a ucla pack i got the ucla like pamphlet like big book thing and like if you flip through it you see a bunch of pictures of like black people and like um, black students at the school but like ucla has like thirty thousand students and only 900 of them are black so i know that's like a whole like that's like 10 percent of all the black students in that one pamphlet and it's just i don't know it's like they're trying to advertise this false sense of diversity to bring in uh people and make their school look mm-hmm. better and it's just it, it doesn't sit right with me because like you know for a fact that your school's not as diverse as you're trying to make it seem 
exactly so i think we're gonna switch gears just a little bit it's not totally off topic but within this kind of umbrella of like white saviorism it's white privilege Mm -hmm. like the privilege you have to be able to do these things and not even think about it because it doesn't really affect you yeah and i don't know i kind of get personally offended when people don't think white privilege is a thing I think people don't understand what white privilege is. Like, I feel like the people who say white privilege doesn't exist don't understand that what white privilege is. And, like, white privilege is not necessarily the idea that, like, because you're white, your life is, like, automatically going to be, like, a piece of cake, like a cakewalk, and, like, everything's going to be easy. But it's, like, the fact that, you know, your life is not any harder because you're white. You can't point to being white as one of the reasons as to why your life is difficult. And that's what white privilege is. White privilege is everything being normalized in your favor and you not having to, like, think about it. Mm-hmm. I actually have the textbook definition of white privilege. Oh, go ahead. All right. So yeah, Nick explained it great, but I'm going to give you like the textbook kind of definition. So white privilege is the societal privilege that benefits white people over non-white people, either socially, politically, economically, and under those circumstances. And so like Nick said, having white privilege doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, your life was totally easy. It just means that being white, like hadn't did not impact you in any type of way in fact it helps you yeah you know and i just think it's insane how like this country was built on it it was yeah the founding fathers built this nation to benefit white men i think like white privilege was created like it was created almost i mean i do you think it was created intentionally what do you mean Because the way I see it as, like, white people back when they were creating America and, like, we had slavery and stuff, they just didn't, they didn't see, they saw all other races as, like, inferior or whatever, right? And I think, like, that was just, like, them being, like, oh, we're white. And so, like, that, that, and then that, they built an entire system based off that principle that they are superior. And that's what created white privilege because of that system that they built on white superiority and, like, white supremacy. Well, I mean, like you said back then they saw any other race other than white as inferior so i guess in and of itself it wasn't directly intentional but yeah the systems were created under this idea of white supremacy yeah that white people are like the divine divine chosen ones of god and they're it's their job to civilize the world and that white people are just better and deserve more and are more deserving of things in general and that directly relates to how all these different institutions in today's society are built you know they're all built on this like idea of like white supremacy whether we want to admit it or not yeah and people will try to say like those institutions like those the creation of those institutions was like hundreds of years ago and like they're still no longer in effect today but like if you think about it like two generations ago like grandparents and stuff there are grandparents who like or like great grandparents at least who were like slaves and stuff the holocaust with hitler and his like perfect aryan race that was less than a hundred years ago like segregation was less than a hundred years ago all of these institutions are still very much recent and like are still being continued uh, we're still continuing to build onto these institutions i think now we're starting to slowly dismantle some of them but like Mm -hmm. these institutions are still fairly new and like it's not like you know slavery was not that long ago if you think about it like slavery was pretty recent and so yeah so people will always try to like dismiss white supremacy and like white privilege and stuff and be like when when people talk about um how like the origins of this country people will be like oh but that happened like hundreds of years ago but like it really it really didn't it was pretty recent 
No, exactly. I think when people act like the civil rights movement was hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Or like Brown versus Board of Education was hundreds of years ago. Yeah. When it just wasn't. Like these systems are still in place today. Like the prison system. Yeah. That is modern day slavery. And people don't understand like why prisons were created in the first place. The first prisons were created in the South as a form of coerced labor that was legal. Mm -hmm. They would arrest young black men for nothing in order for them to work plantations for free and under the 13th amendment if you're yeah it's allowed if you commit a crime you're charged like you're technically a slave of the state yeah and that's right there and like that's still a thing today yeah yeah and like i know we like talked about cops like a couple episodes ago but like also like the whole institution of like um the police force in america started off as like capturing runaway slaves and stuff and like Mm-hmm. That, you know, there was white men capturing black children and black people. And, like, that's what it is still today. And so those institutions have transcended decades and generations and various movements. And they still exist today, just in j- different forms. Slavery still exists. That capturing of, like, you know, black people, white people capturing black people still exists. And this is all because of this system that was built on white superiority and white supremacy. Exactly. Even in our education system, kind of the whitewashing of history. Yeah. Like... In my world history class, that's the first time I even heard that poem. And applaud, like, like kudos to, like, our, like, my history teacher. Because and you took world we history did, like, this I, year, right? Yeah, I took world history this year. And we actually learned about different types of, like, colonialism that yeah. I hadn't learned in the past. Like, it was crazy to me that the stuff that I learned that I never heard about because history is so whitewashed. It I'm really trying to is. remember what we learned. And also, like, AP um, World History is, like, not a required class. Like, that's a class that only a certain amount of students take. I need to figure out what I... It was, like... Oh, my God. I wish I could remember because it was so crazy because I'd never even heard that before. And it needs Mm -hmm. to be taught. I don't know how I forgot it. But, yeah, as I was saying, our our history curriculums across the nation as a whole is very whitewashed. And it's this white savior narrative. Like, ever since we were younger, like, you were taught that Columbus discovered America, right? You were taught that Columbus discovered America. You celebrated Columbus. You celebrate... I remember you would, like... um, I was talking to someone about this the other day, but, like, in elementary school, um, they were talking about how, like, they would do... um, two elementary school classes together would have like a thanksgiving party and one class would be the indians and one class would indians in quotations and one class would be uh the pilgrims or whatever and like all the class and the class that got the native americans would be like triggered they'd be mad and they'd be sad because they didn't want to be native americans they'd rather be like the white pilgrims and like they'd make the feather headbands and all that stuff and like when you're looking back at it like that's so problematic and like that's a complete whitewashing of history and it it paints these pilgrims as these amazing people who didn't basically storm into the united states bring disease and famine and um, destroy the lives of native americans like they contributed nothing to the lives of native americans and it's crazy exactly and to go back to my last point we learned about um the colonization of the congo by the belgium and king leopold which Mm. i urge you all of like the listeners to go on youtube and just type that in the colonization of the congo by king leopold of belgium I, it is crazy to me how that was not taught before like my junior year. Like, yeah. I feel like that's not ever talked about what happened in the Congo by King Leopold and all like even after like slavery was abolished, that was still going on. Yeah. And like 
it was just insane. And I know so many history curriculums just don't go go over stuff like that. What are your thoughts then, though, on like the U.S. focusing solely on U.S. history? Like, is does the should the U.S. then focus on other parts of the world as well? I mean. I think learning about U.S. history is important, but I also think about kind of expanding that knowledge to the rest of the world is also important. If you're going to tell U.S. history, you can't tell the white man's narrative. That's true. I feel like that's what we're taught. Yeah. And once we're taught about, like, black history, African-American history, we're taught about the same three people. And I loved my AP U.S. history teacher, but the Civil Rights Unit was a joke. Like, yeah. it was yeah. an actual joke. I know I learned about Rosa Parks... I've been learning about Rosa Parks since the fourth grade. I learned about, I read his, I read Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I've literally <laughs> read that all throughout elementary school, all throughout middle school. Like, teach me something else. And like, even black with, history like, is so vast and they're teaching us this kind of just sugar-coated, watered-down black history. And, and the people like that they pick to be these figures for black history is very, and like, when you look at it, it's all, once again, like, sure uh, watering that watering it down and making it comfortable for the white man to digest so like mm-hmm. for instance like rosa parks like she wasn't like the first person to sit on she a bus and, like, and protest but like the other the other person i'm pretty sure they picked because like she didn't fit the uh, a narrative that white people would be able to like agree with and white people would be able to digest mlk we're taught about mlk and we're rarely talking taught about malcolm x and it's because mlk was like this man of like oh like peace um submit i mean like submit to the white man just like you know be friends with the white man and we're taught about him rather than like malcolm x who was like you're not gonna get what you want unless you like you know you put your foot down and you're dominant mm-hmm. and then and we're then- also taught about a- abraham lincoln as like a civil oh, rights I'm glad leader you brought like- that up. i'm so glad you brought up abraham lincoln sorry to interrupt you but right. abraham lincoln was racist abraham in english lincoln class was racist. yeah in english class and ap world history we listened to a podcast which were both junior year yeah junior year podcast the 1619 project go listen to that please and the one part of the podcast where it said that abraham lincoln invited like seven to ten major abolitionists of that time to come and speak with him and he basically said look if i free the slaves can you guys just go back to africa yeah like, yeah he literally said we suffer from your presence white people suffer as well we're this is we're both suffering and i've never heard that i've like, never heard that before now yeah my mind was boggled because how many times have you been told by your teachers oh my god he's the best president he wasn't racist he freed the slaves he was just a godsend and also like think about the fact that we only learned about that this year because of the 1619 project which came out the summer before our junior year like before that kids weren't learning about that at all like that wasn't mentioned at all before our class and also like abraham lincoln is like taught as like this like Abraham Lincoln and it like the way he's taught is like the white savior narrative himself he saved he freed the slaves exactly. which he didn't even really free the slaves he just freed the slaves in the confederacy so that so they that would they like help lose the, the war and yeah and join and help the union and like become become part of their army and stuff so like if you like Abraham Lincoln is like a glorified white savior white savior he is the white savior he he's is like the, the white epitomized, savior epitomized of the like white savior complex yeah and he's worshipped by everyone in the united states and like don't get me wrong like abraham lincoln like he he, i mean he obviously um, helped get rid of slavery and like the emancipation proclamation was very important and he did a lot of important stuff but just the way he's taught he's given a lot more credit than i think he deserves yeah and just i'm thinking about like kind of like 
the amount of stuff that we learned junior year and how it was kind of focused in one class, which yeah. me and class took the same English class. And that English class was basically kind of set up to diversify readings and knowledge. Yeah. And that class definitely exposed me to so many like new information. Like I'm learning history in an English class. I feel, I feel like I've learned more history in English class this year than I've learned in history class. Exactly. And, like, it wasn't even just black history. We I rem- um, we read, like, Persepolis. And, like, that was the first time I had ever learned anything about the Middle East in school. Like, I'd never exactly. learned anything about is- um, Islam or anything like that. And I don't, it was, yeah. No, yeah, I definitely think curriculum should kind of reflect that class because it was very eye-opening. I know it that was. I would have never knew about Abraham Lincoln if it was for I, that class. I never would have, yeah. And that's why I've kind of... And recently, I've been trying to talk to more people about diversifying education and, like, history classes and English classes. Because it's all, like, this glorified white savior narrative. That's, like, being taught that these white people did this and it, like, impacted this. When it's really not the full truth, you know? It's one Mm -hmm. whitewashed perspective of how history went. And, like, everything we learn in the classroom, too, is, like, tailored to, like white comfort even like even in history classes like when we're talking about slavery it'll be like it like it'll be the most like sugar-coated like oh yeah we had slaves they were black people but don't worry abraham lincoln comes along and fix it and then we move on after we move on from it after two weeks no i remember um sophomore year we were learning about nat turner's rebellion Mm -hmm. and my teacher turned off one of the videos because this one girl was like this is making me so uncomfortable like i need to leave the room like and he was like, okay, like, I'll turn it off. And I was just like, wow, imagine how, like, we feel. I'm hip, yeah. Imagine how I feel watching this. It's but we had to turn it off because a white girl, girl was uncomfortable. Was uncomfortable. And that's kind of just how, like, the education system is. Like, tailoring education for all to fit the comfort of one person. And that's another form of white privilege where, like, the entire education system, everything you learn in class is tailored towards you as a white person. The lessons you're being taught in the history class are being recounted from, you know, the white man's narrative. The book you're, the books you're reading have predominantly white characters with maybe a few couple of um, pe- person of color characters as, like, background figures and then written by white authors. The movies you're watching are created, are star-only mm-hmm. white actors in Hollywood, which is a predominantly white white industry and so every like even your educational experience is completely tailored to you as a white person and like you don't have to think you don't have to think about it twice but then like as a person of color you're watching this and white like being white is being like becomes the normal through the education system and so you as a person of color then feel out of place because being white has been normalized and that's what is being seen as the default in all aspects of your life no exactly i'm glad you kind of brought up this like white savior narrative in like movies because i think yeah. recently a conversation has been had around like these critically acclaimed movies like the help for example yeah which was so widely acclaimed but it's kind of the epitome of a white savior narrative this white woman who's not racist is going against all of her like friends and families to tell the stories of black women yeah or like the blind side about a family who takes in a takes homeless in the, young the black, black boy, puts him in private school, and then he goes to college, and it's all and it's all this stuff. So those movies are kind of being called out, which I think is like honestly really important because they are typical white savior narratives. And like, it's also important to like recognize like the writer's intent probably wasn't malicious, but the writer 
like this goes back to like another form of white privilege where like you're writing something and you don't have to think twice about like the meaning behind it you can just insert a white character and make that the main character and it just feels normal to you even though it's a story about black people you can still make the white the the main character a white person and that just feels normal to you and like yes your intent wasn't to be racist and to like um mm-hmm. whitewash a black story but you're still doing that um, inadvertently and that's you know a form of white privilege yeah i think in terms of, like movies tv shows media in general it shouldn't be white people telling black stories yeah because i feel like a lot of movies centering around um a black person struggle in america whether it be from the civil rights movement or slavery a lot of those movies are kind of developed by white men and yeah. although their intentions might be good it's these white men telling these stories and those movies are sometimes overlooked by movies that were written by black people directed by black people and stars black people and tells their story in a more authentic way yeah which is just yeah a whole other form of privilege and we see this like transcend to all parts of hollywood with like uh with like award shows and stuff like the specific Mm -hmm. movies that are winning awards and stuff and it's like once again it's the 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 movies and stuff being controlled by this white team and even if it's like a even if it's two movies about uh, about black people the movie created by a white you know director white writers that's the movie that's gonna win as opposed to uh, movies that you know are created by black people themselves yeah and i was i was watching this youtube video the other day and it was kind of this like analyst of like the strong black female trope in movies and tvs and a lot of these kind of like strong black female tropes are always written by white people Mm -hmm. And this kind of idea and notion that black women are this supernaturally strong, hardworking, like perfect for lack of a better words. And they kind of carry all this weight on their shoulders, but they don't, they never break down. They never falter. They're these strong people. And although like, I think a lot of that does hold true. It's a very kind of one dimensional narrative yeah. of a whole race of women that's like, not told by the women who live those lives exactly it's hard to it's like you're telling someone else's story with no none of those life experiences and you're expecting it to be and the thing yeah. is like then everyone like people start to believe that, that like that's what's real and that's what's true because that's what they're seeing and so it's like you as that white person you're creating you're controlling the narrative of these people of color through your media and through your work and everyone accepts yeah. that as normal, and so you're normalizing this these stereotypes and the um these visions of these people that you have. Yeah, I think, like Nick said, it's all kind of just controlling the narrative, yeah, and telling other people's story. And I think that's kind of just the essence of this kind of white savior, like saviorism in general, mm-hmm. is the control of a narrative and the control of just a people, whether it's intentional or unintentional. It's this idea that you're like just you're attempting to help and spread wealth and knowledge to a group of people who may not even need it, and you're doing it not to help but to kind of prove to yourself and others that you did something helpful, yeah, and I think I see that another place I see that is with the March for our lives movement, and like the the March for our lives movement kind of like kind of annoyed me a little bit with um with everything it was standing for like i feel like an entire movement 
sprouting uh, around like getting gun control and like you know gun laws and stuff sprouted after school shootings which like is a very valid reason but it, the entire movement's focus was centered around school shootings which i mean like not to diminish how scary and how like serious school shootings are they don't have been as often as like uh uh, black and brown crimes with guns and they only happen in predominantly white suburban neighborhoods like at predominantly white suburb um, mm-hmm. high schools located in the suburbs and so once those locations started being targeted an entire nationwide movement sprouted around this and that entire nationwide movement completely ignored most of the uh the gun issues that were, were impacting black and brown kids in their uh, in their inner city neighborhoods and you know the speakers at these events and stuff were these suburban white teens and like who would experience the school shootings and like like i said their experiences are completely valid and like school shootings are something that are completely serious but then they completely uh ignored and overlooked the other forms of the other forms of gun abuse and like the other forms of gun violence and to me it just seemed like you're completely erasing an entire group of people out of your narrative and you're only focusing on what you know which what impacts you the most and then another thing that annoyed me is just the fact that after that one protest they all like went off to college they took like all the publicity from that and they just like left and they just like stopped pushing um this large national movement and like they had so much momentum behind them and they just like took all their successes from it and left and you know yeah no yeah i mean i agree this is probably gonna be controversial but i feel like no one really cared about gun violence until it was directly affecting a bunch of white kids yeah and like i said like i went to the march for our lives i was pretty active in like the gun control like conversation i even did the lobbying day for gun mm-hmm. control, but I think the difference between that personal lobbying day is that we talked about gun violence within like small communities, small black and brown communities, which I thought was so important. And the different lawmakers definitely took that into account and it resonated with them. But definitely, I think one I want at a certain CNN town hall, one of the reps for the NRA literally said, "No one cared about gun violence until it was happening to a bunch of white kids." I mean, he and, and he's he's not wrong. And yeah, he's literally not wrong. As much as I like don't want to agree with someone from the NRA, just because I don't <laughs> like that organization, he was not wrong. And Although that's so- I totally stand with March for Our Lives in the gun movement, like the gun, like the, like anti gun movement. It's completely valid to say that no one really cared about it until it was happening to a bunch of white kids. And that's because, because like, gun violence in our thought- oh go ahead yeah yeah <laughs> but like yeah because gun violence in black and brown communities has been happening forever yeah yeah the amount of young kids who are exposed to gun violence and gang violence in a whole and who have access to weapons and who are exposed to different weapons who have watched their fathers mothers brothers sisters get killed due to gun violence in their communities none of them were talking about that yeah that wasn't even a topic of conversation and that speaks to this like privilege exactly we've normalized gun violence for black and brown communities and for like suburban predominantly white locations gun violence just like was not really existent so once once that infiltrated in quotations infiltrated this bubble of theirs that's when they started to care and then they completely ignored the thing that they've normalized which is gun violence in black and brown communities and that was problematic in itself yeah and another thing because we're kind of like i feel like like I said earlier, a lot of things can be kind of under the side bre- umbrella of white privilege and like white saviorism was something kind of like the war on drugs and mm-hmm. how the war on drugs specifically targeted black and brown communities. But when um, 
what was it the opioid epidemic happened it was called an epidemic yeah not a crisis yeah it was something that needed to be like handled in a civic manner we needed to get treatment we needed to put all these things in place to help these young these young white kids not get hooked on prescription meds but when it's a bunch of black men and women being hooked on crack cocaine it was criminalized and they were exactly. in jails and those communities were over policed yeah it was a stark contrast in the like handling of those situations and i um, believe that the government put drugs in black communities but that's a topic for a whole another day so we won't get that could be that. an entire episode on itself yeah we could do a but, whole episode on that but but i think that definitely goes to show like that's essentially white privilege in its rawest form right there is that we've normalized violence we've normalized drugs and all this stuff for black and brown communities but then when we see those exact same things happening for white communities we feel that it's so out of the norm that like our entire country puts a stop on whatever it's doing to try and help those white communities but completely disregards our black and brown communities because they've normalized it and because they've made it such like the standard like when people see um african-americans and like hispanics doing drugs they're just like eh, I, I oh well but like you know when it's white kids it's like oh dang we have to save that white kid exactly and that is white privilege that is white privilege that is, and i think yeah. yeah and i think that is a uh good place to sort of pause this conversation and this episode here uh lauren do you have any like last minute comments or anything else you want to add real quick no like i said with probably every episode me and nick could talk about this forever forever i think yeah. if you guys wanted we definitely could do a part two to this episode and kind of expand on some of like the ideas we talked about whether that be kind of like the war on drugs or different kind of like whitewashed organizations i think that could be something but yeah thank you guys for listening please tune in and two weeks we're posting every other wednesday every now other wednesday. Yeah, yeah yeah so we're just, just busy people yeah yeah we're busy um, but <laughs> thank you for listening guys bye yeah, make sure to follow us on all our social medias and whatnot all right thank you guys